You're welcome to the teaching ministry of Pastor Chinedu Nwosu of The Bridge, A Simple Church. Stay back and be blessed. I'm going to move you to another dimension as you look at the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16 as we begin a two-part series or a two-part study of uh, what God has laid in my heart for this month. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we're reading from verse 18 or verse 13. Let's just start from 13 so we take it in context. Matthew 16, verse 13. Hallelujah. Well, I'm, 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 I feel like telling you to rise, but I think uh, some of you might not want to stand. So I'm going to allow you to sit. But if you're not reading it properly, then I ask you to rise. So do we have a deal? You can sit to read it, but if you don't read it, with zeal and gusto, then you arise so you can project. All right, let's go. Matthew 16, reading from verse 13. One, two, go. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, I can't hear you. Uh, you have failed your exam. If you don't mind, can we rise as we read the word of God, as we respect the second person of the Trinity, the word himself. We rise for kings, we rise for great men, we can rise for God and for the second person of the Trinity. So accept you're incapacitated in one way or the other. I want you to rise, I want you to clear your truth as we read the Bible together this Sunday morning. Are you ready? All right, okay, are you ready? So I just clear, clear your case. Just let me just move like this. I want to read the word of God now. So I've got to be ready to read the word of God. Okay, one to go. When excellent to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art. Continue. Some say Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever that shall lose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man he was 21, from that time forth, big Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Somebody shout amen. While you're there, go to Matthew chapter 18, second scripture. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. It's so good to read the Bible with you in unison as a family, as a congregation, as a church. Hallelujah. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. Are we there? One, two, go. Moreover, 
if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Hallelujah. While you're there, let me go back to Matthew chapter 16 and just emphasize verse 18, which is where I'm going to this Sunday morning. Matthew 16 verse 18. So let me read to your hearing. He said, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter. The original word there in Greek is the word Petros. P-E-T-R-O-U-S. Petros. That is a small rock or a small stone. He says, I say unto thee, Petros, upon this rock, Petra, that word is Petra. Petra is a huge rock. So Jesus is saying, upon thou art Petros, but upon this Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Actually, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and I will give unto thee the church the church being built give unto thee my disciples and the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven whatsoever that shall bound on uh, bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever that shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he is Jesus the Christ there's so much argument over what Jesus said here, especially when he said, upon this rock, there's always been the confusion and there are different theories. Some say he was saying that upon Peter, I will build the church. But if you look straight into the Greek and the original text, you will see that he wasn't referring to Peter. He was actually acknowledging that yes, Peter was a stone, but upon this rock, then so we are clear that it's not Peter he was speaking about but about something else geographically or historically some argue that he was speaking about the rock where he was because he was standing upon a rock when he declared these things and I'll tell you more about the rock very soon but we believe charismatically that he was speaking of the revelation that Jesus uh, Peter had just spoken that revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he was telling Peter and telling everybody that upon this revelation, this revelation, what you have just told me, I will build my church on. What did you just tell me? You've just revealed to me that you know that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it's consistent with scripture because so many other scriptures identify Jesus as the chief cornerstone upon which the church is built upon. So he's telling Jesus, telling Peter and telling the disciples that upon this rock, this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, I'll tell you a lot about that later soon, will not prevail. In other words, I will 
build a church that will conquer the gates of hell. I will build a church that will conquer all. And that's why I've titled this sermon, The Church or Ecclesia Called Out to Conquer. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, we have been called out to conquer. We are called to conquer. We are called to conquer. Come on, you don't say it like you believe it. You sound like you're defeated. I said we have been called out to conquer. You and I together, we've been called out to conquer because we are the ecclesia, the called out ones. Father, I thank you. Thank you because I know that you're here already and I know that you're going to breathe upon your word this Sunday morning and give somebody illumination of the revelation already documented in the scriptures. And so I say let our eyes be open, our ears be here, our hearts be nimble to hear your word and to receive from you this Sunday morning. To that intent, I hide behind your word, I hide behind the revelation over this local church, I hide behind a simple God revolution which you've given to us and I say Father speak to somebody today in simple terms that they will understand in Jesus mighty name we pray and everybody shout aloud amen, amen. tell him some look at somebody say you've been called to conquer so talk and speak like a conqueror as you're seated amen hallelujah called to conquer the desire of my heart this month is to emphasize the importance and the significance of the church in the agenda and the work of God. Is to emphasize how important the church is in, as a tool, a weapon in God's hands to establish God's mandate here on the earth. So I've titled it Ecclesia Called Out to Conquer. I'll essentially be teaching but I expect and I know that God is going to open your eyes to see fresh new revelation and have better understanding on who you are and what we are and what we are meant to be doing here on the earth as the church, the Ecclesia here on earth. So let me take off from my text. I'm going to try to exegete the first few verses of the text, but then I'll quickly, I don't want to get too carried away in the exegesis, because I want to really emphasize on what I want to talk about today, which is the church, what the church is, and what the church is not. But before I start, let me start with just a little bit of exegesis. The Bible says in Matthew, in Matthew 16, 13, he says that Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. When you read Caesarea Philippi, to you, it's just a place like Abuja or a place like any other place. It's just another an ordinary location. Well, that is because to the you were not in Jerusalem or you were not in Samaria or in the time of Jesus you were not in the old Palestine when this was particularly written because for those that it was written to originally the original audience the moment the writer says Jesus came with his disciples to, to Caesarea Philippi they would know exactly what, the, what they will begin to wonder and they will ask themselves one question what on earth was Jesus going to look for in this place called Caesarea Philippi because they know what Caesarea Philippi is known for. So the Bible says Jesus took his disciples. They were walking about a day's journey. They must have taken off from Capernaum, which is the headquarters of Jesus. And they were heading down uh, to, to Caesarea Philippi. And I'm sure as they were going, some of the disciples would have wondered to themselves, where is Jesus taking us to? Doesn't he know what Caesarea Philippi is known for? And they would have said, well, what is Jesus going to do? What are we going to do there? Let me tell you why. Because Caesarea Philippi in the, in the known world, in the olden days or in the ancient times, was known for, uh, um, what word will I use now? For, a, for pagan, a pagan site for pagan religious worship. It was a place that only pagans went to. 
Romans and Greeks. Not a place you find a hardcore Jew. Somebody who is a follower of Yahweh. It's not a place where you find Yahweh. It's a place where you find where you find the, uh, um, the pagans. You find Jew. I mean, Greeks and the Gentiles and Romans. Why? Because before this name, Fisera Philippi, that place used to be called Panea. P-A-N-E-A. P-A-N-E-A. Panea. Panea. It was called Panea because it was named after a god called Pan. The god called Pan. Now you know that in Greek mythology, the Greeks believed in so many gods. You know that, right? So they believed in so many gods. So there was one of these gods called Pan. And this god Pan was the play, was notorious, or rather, is called Pan. Pan was the god of the forest, or the god of agriculture, of the god of the wilds. So they believed that Pan was responsible for the rain that came up in the spring season. So because of that, in this particular area, there was a huge cave called the Cave of Pan. And in this Cave of Pan, there was a shrine or dedicated to this god. By the way, this god is a very scary god. Is the scary god is one of those gods they say he was half man and half goat with a horn and he always had a flute and he blew so they so they built up an altar there or a shrine in Caesarea Philippi in this place called the cave of Pan and so it was also understood because uh, when oh yeah I forgot to say this that Caesarea Philippi was a small city located at the foot of the mountain called Mount Hermon it was a very tall mountain and upon this mountain when the when um, um, snow fell upon the mountain it sometimes melted out to form springs at the bottom of the mountain and from there a fountain flowed out and from that source and fountain we understand that the river Jordan got its origin from so so and and in the then known world wherever there was water was a place of mystery because there was so much barrenness so where there was water there was fertility and there was life am I saying so many things at the same time are you with me so far all right so it was also believed that in that cave called the cave of Pan I'm telling you these things because I want you to go and read it when you go back hello to go and research it, all right? So there was a cave, and in that cave, there was a, a small pool of water. And it was believed that that pool of water was bottomless. In other words, it had no bottom. And from that bottomless pool of water, there was something called the Gate of Hades. The Gate of Hades. The gate, so that pool of water, because it was bottomless, continued until he went to a place called the Gates of Hades. From the Gates of Hades, he opened up into Hades. Hades is the place for the departed spirits. It's a world where all the departed spirits went to in Greek mythology. So they believe that Pan used to go into Hades through the Gates of Hades during the winter. And then when it was time for spring, Pan will jump out of there and then he will have copulation, if you know what I mean, with some other goddesses around. And then that copulation will produce the rain. So they had to offer sacrifices, sacrifice at that altar so that as they offered sacrifice of that altar, the gates of Hades will open and Pan will run out. And then as Pan runs out, has this copulation, he will produce rain and that rain will bring a blessing upon them. So they had to worship at that altar called the altar of Pan or the cave of Pan. Are you with me so far? So it was not a place for, and then once they started their worship experience or all of that, it was a bunch of very riotous orgies, sexual orgies, all 
all sorts of things happened as they were playing the music and they were worshiping and expecting pan to arise and so all sorts of crazy things happened and it's from that word they get the word pandemonium so the pandemonium confusion chaos chaos and pandemonium will break out of there and there will be a very big celebration pagan celebration so it was not a place for a jew like jesus a rabbi and a teacher should be taking his people too but jesus took them there and that thing was very instructive as well there in the cave of pan were other shrines and in those shrines they had other gods they had a shrine for zeus they had a shrine a shrine for other gods so many of those greek gods the nymphs and all of that and they also had a shrine for caesar because caesar was also worshipped as a god so it was in the midst of that shrine when Jesus had come close to his disciples in that very close to it he now begins to ask them knowing that they can see the shrine of Pan they can see the shrine of Caesar they can see the shrine of Zeus Jesus begins to ask them whom do men say that I am because he was going somewhere who do they say that I am they said well some said you are Isaiah some said you are Elijah some said you are Jeremiah some say that you're a prophet. Then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Because at the end of the day, it's not what men say, it's what you say. Whatever God will reveal to you or whatever will come into your life is based not on what other people think of Jesus or about what you think about Jesus. So John says in John 8, 32, that you shall know the truth and the truth which you know shall make you free. So it's not about what they think. It's about what you think. It's about your relationship. If I'm going to reveal myself, then I have to know that you are ready to receive me. If I'm going to show myself to you this month, on the month of July or August, I want to know what do you think? Think about me. So God is asking you this Sunday morning, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? Not Jesus to your father. Not Jesus to your mother. Not Jesus to your pastor. Not Jesus to your friend or anybody. But who is Jesus to you? Now look at somebody and say, who is Jesus to you? Oh, come on, come on. Preach with me this Sunday morning. Say, who is Jesus to you? Is he one weak, lily-livered God who is somewhere who doesn't care about you? Or is he your present help in the time of need? Who is Jesus to you? So, John, so Peter then declares, ah, I think and I know that thou art Jesus, the son of the living God, the Messiah who was to come. And then Jesus said, oh yeah, you're right. Flesh and blood could not reveal that to you. So he, what he said in essence when he said Jesus was the son of God was that Jesus himself was God. Not just God, not like Pan, not like every other God, but Jesus was the son of the only living God. So Jesus used that to reinforce and to reveal himself as God to them and make sure that they understood that he was the Messiah. Then Jesus said, upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build something new. And this thing new that I will build, it is going to conquer. It's going to come and push against the gates of Hades. It will shut Pan out. It will shut all this, all this religious activity here. When I build the church, the church is going to come and sit upon all of this. It will be the end of all of this uh, we, uh, idolatry, all of these things. I will come, I will build the church. I will raise another group of people. Like the assembly you see gathered here. I will raise another assembly. But this one's the gates of hell. Pan will not come out to defeat them. He will continually defeat the gates of hell. 
So in the direct context, what Jesus was referring to was that you see this activity happening here? I'm going to build a church. And I'll tell you what a church is. I'm going to build a group of people. And they will have so much power and authority that everything happening here will cease. And only what I say will do, will do. And Jesus, from that point, began to birth the church. Can I talk to you this Sunday morning? So it means from our text already, you can see that Jesus was the first person and the only person to mention the word church first. Jesus was the first person, rule of first mention. Right there in Matthew 16, Jesus used first, church first. And he didn't only use the word church. He says, I will build my church. Now he's instructive, secondly, I'm still existing the text. It's second, it's instructive also to notice that the word church is used only in the book of Matthew. Not in the book of Luke, not in the gospel of John, not in the gospel of Mark, but only in the gospel of Peter, Peter, Matthew. Why? Why, why, why did the, the writer insist that he's going to show, tell us that Jesus called, mentioned church first and in that book of Matthew? That is because, are you with me? Are you here so far? Anybody with me so far? You know what I mean? Say Yes! Let me make sure I don't lose you. Say yes. yes. All right. So I'm glad you asked. Somebody say, Pastor, why is it only in the book of Matthew that Jesus used that word church? Well, that is because if you were here in the early years of our formation, the bridge, I took out time to teach us on the books, on the book of Matthew particularly. Um, and I did say that the book of Matthew, um, brother, let me put it this way. The gospels tell us the story or tell us historical account of the life and times of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And the Gospels tell us four different perspectives. Look at Jesus from different perspectives. And so they're trying to give us an all-round view of who Jesus was. So the God, God, Holy Ghost inspired the writers to write the Gospels. Of the four Gospels, two of the Gospels are designed for believers. While the other two are really designed for unbelievers. Let me do it more quick this morning. Who can tell me, just scribble out where you are, which of the two Gospels, the four Gospels, is designed for believers? Matthew, number one. John, number two. So Matthew and John were designed for believers, whereas Luke and Mark were designed for unbelievers. So if you want to give an unbeliever a Gospel to study, please don't give him the book of John because he'll get confused from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, 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 God. What are you saying? I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, I know we always do, we give them the book of John because we hope that we get to John 3.16. But they hardly ever get to John 3.16 because when they start from John 1, they get confused and they dump it. It's the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is, uh, is for Jewish believers particularly. Whereas Matthew is for Jewish believers, book of John is for the entire church, for, um, for Jewish and non-Jewish believers, just generally believers. So, take us back to the book of Matthew. So the book of Matthew, what the writer did in the book of Matthew is that he has documented most of Jesus' teachings into five big blocks. Five big group blocks. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because he's trying to um, 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 exemplify or is trying to, to copy the five books of Moses. Moses wrote five books. Every Jew understands the word five and that there are five teachings of Moses. So he's saying that Jesus came and Jesus also taught in five big blocks. And what are those five big blocks? I call them the... I call them um, 
um, the sandwich, Matthew sandwich. So in Matthew chapter 5, we see, now Jesus would have taught at different times, but what the writer did was he gathered all of his teachings into five big blocks. The first block is seen in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking about lifestyle in the kingdom. So he starts in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the beautiful attitude. So he's telling us, how should believers live? What should a believer's life look like? You see that in Matthew chapter 5, the beautiful attitudes. Then the second block is in Matthew chapter 10, and he's saying, how should the, how should the kingdom go? What should believers be doing evangelism and mission we see that in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10 so Jesus called the disciples and then he named them and he gave them power over unclean spirits and he told them to go and go and go and evangelize or carry out the mission so it was a mission text then in Matthew chapter 13 he's trying to encourage the believers in telling them this is how the gospel this is how the kingdom of God grows and he says something interesting he says a sower went to sow and he took a seeds and he threw the seeds everywhere and then of all the seeds he threw only 25% of them fell on good ground so it means that for every four people you minister to perhaps if you get only one you have tried don't be, don't be, don't be discouraged because Jesus is saying that of all the soils, only one of them was good. And in fact, that one had the potential to produce 60, 40, 60, and 100 fold. So he's saying that. So, so don't be discouraged because whenever you go out for evangelism, because we get so discouraged, Pastor, I invited somebody to church and income. Don't worry. Out of every four people, only one might actually listen to you. Out of ten, only two. And if you are doing that, you're doing something well. Then he continues and he says that a farmer went to sow a wheat on the ground. And when he woke up one morning, he saw tears. And then he, had, then he was worried and he wanted to pull out the tears. And they told him, don't worry, leave them. If you pull out the tail, you might hurt the wheat allow them grow at the end of the day at the end of the day we'll know what is wheat and what is tares so what is he telling them say don't worry as well in the church there are always going to be the real people real believers and they're going to be the wheat the criminals that come in because sometimes you focus all your energy in trying to root out speak the word and root out all the evil ones they are there but as you do that you harm the wheat the good ones who are there because you keep speaking judgment and condemnation upon their hearts and ultimately those ones who are good are not being fed and they dry up and they die he said leave them leave them at the day of harvest when the reapers come they will separate those who are good from those who are bad they will separate the church goers from the real believers. They will separate the crooks who are in church. So in church, there are weeds. I mean, there are tares. And there are also weeds. There are weed growing in church. Not in this one. In some churches. Amen. This one, we are all weeds. Amen. We are all weeds. Say, uh, hello. Say, we are all weeds. Or ask your neighbor, are you wheat or are you tear? Are you, another word for tear is weed. Are you wheat or are you weed? Ask them, are you wheat or weed? What did they tell you? Didn't I tell you all of us here are, 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 are wheat? We don't have weed here. We only have tears. Somebody shout, yes! I told you that they'll tell you. We're all weed, amen. Now, if you're not frowning, maybe you are the weed. I can't see your faces. Is anybody frowning here? Anybody who's frowning now is weed. The ones who are smiling are weeds. All right. 
that's Matthew 13. Then in the next one is Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And there he's talking about the community of the kingdom. And that is where Jesus talks about the church. Two times he talks about the church. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Now he's talking about the community of the kingdom. How should believers live as a family together? And then the last block is Matthew 24 when he talks about the future of the kingdom. So if you want to read the book of Matthew and you want to know how the kingdom of God operates and kingdom life, just go to start with Matthew chapter 5 and 6. When you're done, jump to Matthew chapter 10. When you're done, jump to 13 jump to 23 and 24 you will have gotten a bit of idea of the entire teachings of Jesus according to the book of Matthew somebody shout yes. yes so it is in this place that Jesus now mentions the word church so what is a church what is a church but before I go any further notice Jesus said I will build my church so Jesus is the one building the church. All right. So what is a church? When you hear the word church, what is a church? And what did Jesus mean? All right. Let me go to my definitions now. A church. Oh, sorry. Before I get there. Oh, sorry. Before I get there. I was trying to exit the text. Now, now. So Jesus there in Caesarea Philippi communicated two things to the disciples. Number one. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give keys to this church that whatever they stay here on earth to open, it will open in the heaven above them. Whatever they stay here to close, it will close above them. And then not just that, when he had finished all that, the Bible says, and at that point, he began to tell them about the things that will happen to him. So that means Jesus never told them about his death until now. He never told them his death about his death and resurrection until this point. The Bible says from this point going forward, he began to tell them about the things he will suffer and how he will die. And on the third day, he will rise again. So there were two major things Jesus communicated to them in Israel Philippi. Number one, I will build the church. Number two, I will die and I will rise on the third day. And these were two Jesus' two major assignments on the earth. He healed the sick, but that was not his primary assignment. That was by the way. He healed the lip. Oh, that was the, the primary assignment Jesus came to do was two things. He came to start to build or to build the church. And then he came to die and resurrect on the third day. Two things for our sins and for our salvation. All right. Okay, let's move on. So what is the church? <sighs> what is the church? The church. The word church is the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means... An assembly of people, if you're taking down definition, take this, is an assembly of people called out to the general population, out of the general population for a political or a legislative function. So the church is an assembly, a group of people called out from the general population so that they will execute a political or a legislative function. In the Greek world, they used to have the assembly or what we call today in our own parents, the house of representatives, where there were some people who were picked from the population and they came together and they formulated laws. They formulated laws and they, they made certain political decisions that affected everybody. 
So Jesus used that analogy to say, I'm going to build myself another assembly of people. And when these guys are called out, they will be called out. When they are called out, they will have a particular function. That function is political. That function is legislative. That is why Jesus immediately said, and I will give thee, this church, I will give thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven so that whatever things you lose here on earth, I will give thee political. Political, I will give the legislative power. So the function of the church on the earth, this group of people, is to legislate the will of God and to unlock certain things in heaven so that those things in heaven will be seen here on earth. But they operate here on earth and they control the heavens above them. So the primary responsibility of the church is legislative in function. We are meant to generate laws, create laws, affect the political atmosphere so that the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, will find extension here on the earth. So the church has two major functions. Number one, legislative function. Number two, it wants to serve as an embassy so that the things that are happening in heaven will happen here. They will be the ones to pull down the will of God in heaven as thy will is in heaven, so shall it be on the earth is the church that stays here to control those things to happen here that is the function of the church so Jesus said I will build my church and my church will prevail against hell so the church God is building is not a weak church it's a strong church the church that Jesus is wielding is a healthy church, is a mighty church, is a powerful church, is a victorious church. So I don't care how bad you've heard about the church, what you've heard about the church, how bad you think it is, how we're not doing it right. In the guise of Jesus and the achievement, Jesus is achieving exactly what he wants to achieve because the church has been existent, existing for the past 2,000 years, growing and growing, exerting influence and power upon the earth. So the church is here to execute legislative function. You might ridicule the church, but the church is strong. You might beat the church, but the church is powerful. The church will stand. It will still remain. Until Christ comes to pick it up, to take the church, the church will still remain. What then is the church? Or rather, let me say there are two expressions of the church. Listen to me very carefully. This is important. Jesus used the church in two ways. And Matthew 16, he uses the church in one way. And Matthew 18, he uses the church in another way. The first way or the first expression of the church is what we call the universal church. Once you are saved, you are born into the universal church. Jesus, the Bible makes us understand, is the first person in that church because he's the first begotten of the dead, the prototokos. So he's the first in that church. And we all are now numbered. So the church, the universal church, or the church as it is, is the only organization or organism or society that does not lose anybody to death. Because this universal church comprises those who have lived before, those who are living now, those who will live, those who have died, all of them unite to form what is called the universal church. So that is the church Jesus is building. He said, I will build my church, the universal church. So you, all of us here, hopefully are part of the universal church. I said hopefully, because you have to be born into it. <laughs> Not born into it like you are born physically. You have to be born spiritually into the church. If you haven't been born spiritually, you are not part of the universal church. Now, that's how Jesus used the word church. But he also used the word church in another text, in that context, as we see in Matthew chapter 16. He used the word church 
to mean a local church because he said if somebody offends thee that you should go first and tell the person you've offended me and then if the person agrees you have won your brother if he refuses go and take one more person if he refuses go and tell the, the elders if he refuses then tell it to the church now that church could not have been the universal church Jesus said tell it to a local church go and tell report the case to a local church and if he refuses to hear then put him out like a hidden from the local church so that the church is therefore both the universal church and a local I'm using the words carefully the and a because there is no the local church there is a local church and there is the universal church are you with me so far so a local church now why is this important because God's desire for you is to be part of a local church and the universal church but there are some people who are part of a local church but they are not part of the universal church did you get that? They are part of a local church, but they are not part of a universal church. Somebody invited them to church and they came. They like the way they are dancing and they are singing. So they joined the church. So they are part of a local church. Their name is in the register of a local church, but they are not part of the universal church because they have not been born into that local, that universal church. Because if you don't just write your name and become part of the universal church, you have to be born of the spirit, born of the water. You have to be born again for you to be born into that universal church. And there are some people in our day who are part of the universal church but have gotten offended by the local church and they are not part of the local church. So they say, I'm a Christian, I want you to just stay at home and join online. They're not part of any church. I'll show you later what it means to be a local church. God desires that you are part of the universal church and you're part of a local church. So be so if you're not if you're part of the universal church and you're not part of a local church, you are missing something, uh, you're not getting all that God desires in God's master plan or will. And if you're part of a local church, maybe because you were born into it physically, your father was part of that church, you were born Anglican, so you're Anglican, you are born Catholic, so you're Catholic, all of those that's physical birth. You are not part of the universal church. At the end of the day, we're going to look for you because what God is coming to rapture is the universal church, not the local church. Are you with me so far? So, so, two expressions of the church, the local church and the universal church. Okay, who owns the church? The church, the Bible says, is owned by Jesus Christ. So, it is not the pastor that owns the church. I know when sometimes we say, my church. Huh, I understand what that means, but it is not your church. It is Jesus' church. <laughs> you are only a part of it. I know when you say, my, uh, the God, who, who's the pastor of that church? You know, so I went there some, somewhere and somebody said, who church do you go to? I said, I go to the bridge. He says, who is the pastor of the church? I was real doctor to say it was me. So I now said, it is me. And I said, oh, your church? I said, no, it's not my church. I'm only the pastor of the church. <laughs> you know, it's not my church. It is God's church. It is Jesus' church. Jesus is the one building the church. I'm only a shepherd. You are a member as much as I'm a member. I'm just here as an under shepherd for the great shepherd to just simply tell you what he told me to tell you. So just as you are members of the church, I am a member of the church as well. So the church belongs to Jesus. This is for pastors like me as well, not to overkill yourself because of another man's church. Amen? You do the one you can do <laughs> and let the owner of the church do the church. Build the church. Are you, are you listening to me? 
You do the little you can do. You can't control everything. You can't do everything. Or else you kill yourself. The one who birthed the church, who is building the church, is alive and well. And he's building the church. You simply get the instructions and you, you execute the instructions as he gives you. The church will grow. The church will increase. The church will abound. It will continue to be mighty on the earth because the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the gates of the poverty will not overtake the church. So Jesus is the owner of the church. Not a man, not your pastor, not the deacon, not the geo, not the apostle, not all of those things. No! They are just as you are, members of that local church and members of the universal church. Are you with me so far? Somebody shout yes. All right, let's go. Let's move on. So let me just say quickly what the local church is not. I'll end in, I'll just end with that. About five or eight things that the local church is not. So I want to narrow down to the local church. We leave the universal church. Let's go down to the local church. The local church. Who owns the local church? Jesus. One about, uh, how many things do I have here? Seven things that the local church is not. Number one, the local church is not a building. I know you've heard that before. Let me just emphasize it. Look at somebody say, the local church, that person who is sleeping, nudge him now and wake him up. Say, the local church is not the building. The local church is housed in a building, but it's not the building. Have you, how many of you noticed that we have moved from Nafil to this place? How many of you noticed from Nafil to Silverbird, the church moved. The church was not Nafil. The church was not Silverbird or is not Silverbird. You and I here, we are the church. So the church can move where the church wants to move to. And then where that moves to becomes the church. If we decide that where we want the church to be will be under a tree, then it will be the church, the bridge church under the big tree. It will still be the church. It will still be registered in heaven as the church, as the local church. So it's not the lights, it's not the chandeliers, it's not the thing, uh, the, the, it's not the microphone, the speaker that makes it a church. When you and I, all of us, gather together and we move to any location, that location becomes the church, the bridge, the local church, as it's called the bridge, expressing a part of the universal church. So the church is not the building. That's why I worry for those who want to build the biggest buildings on the earth. Hello? That's not the church. That's not the church. The church are the people, the human beings who have been called out and they have been called for a legislative function to do a particular thing. That's the church, number one. So number one, the church is not a building. Number two, the church is not a denomination. I know they say Anglican church. Why we understand that that's not the church. The church is not a denomination. It's a group of people. The church, they say Catholic church. That is not the church. It's not a denomination. The church is not a denomination. The church are the people located in a con local congregation. That's the church. Number three, the church is not an organization. Now, there are so many guys out there who are running the church like an organization, like a blue chip organization. They're using all the principles of the world to run the church. The church is not an organization. The church is not a company. The church is an organism. is a living being. is the body of Christ represented on the earth. The church. Now let me make, let me make this clear. Now there is a part of the church that can run like an organization, but the whole church is not the organization. Do you get that? For example, I used to be part of a, a, a relatively big church before. 
Oh, sorry, we're still a, we're a big church now. What am I saying? I'm still part of a big church. I used to be another big church. We're still part of a big church now. Now, so in that church, we had an organization that ran the organism. The organization was the staff of the church. So there was the staff. Staff, everybody had their roles. So the CEO of the, this, the, of the office, we call it church office. The church office. So we had HR, we had all that, all admin, finance. Blah, 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 blah. Now, in, then I used to occupy two roles. So I used to occupy a role in the organization as, as um, I used to be the director of projects and other things. So as a director, let's use the word director in that organization. That was different from me as a pastor in the church. So when I leave the organization, the staff office, I come into the church, I'm now pastor. I don't use the mindset of an organization to run here because in this organization we had KPIs. If you don't meet up to your KPIs, you lose your job. But in the church, in the church, there are no KPIs. Everybody there is needy. They are sheep waiting to be uh, shepherd, shepherded. They are just flock, as you see later. So you don't want to treat this body of Christ as an organization where you fire and hire. No, no. You don't, in this organization, you hire the best hands to do things. In this one, you train, they are born into it, and then you train them to become the good hands that they do what they do. In this organization, in the organization, you pay them for their services. But here, you can't pay anybody here. The, the person is working for God, is a steward of God's uh, uh, glorious riches, and the only one who pays is the owner of the church, not the pastor or anybody else. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Here, if they don't perform, you fire them. But here, you can't fire them. Because they can't, if they're not performing, you can't fire them. Because you're not the one that bought them in the first place. They were born of God. The only person who can fire them is Jesus, who birthed them. Am I making sense? So this church, the organism, is not an organization. And you pastors ought to always draw the line between the two. Don't carry your organization head to enter here. You damage things. You ruin destinies and lives here. Am I making sense? So the church is not an organization. Number four, the church is not a business. Some people enter the church because they think it's a money-making venture. I was watching one movie on Netflix the other day and one man, could, they asked him and they, uh, I'm sure you've seen it before it's, it's, it's one of the trendy movies it was about a pastor, a pastor of a church who had his powers from the devil or all that thing. so they, you know, so they went to this Igbo man and asked the Igbo man the man was asking them, I want to help you, what can you do? he said, you do go to school, I didn't go to school do you have any skills? I don't have any skill there's somebody, his wife not remember, but he can preach you know, say, hey, you can preach? Ah, why don't you tell us now that let's start a business called the church and then they hired him as the preacher. And he was, they pumped him money. They built so the church grew. Because they, they said, how did you learn how to preach? He said, I, my, a cousin of mine goes to one church. And I used to hear his pastor preach. So I've, I've started talking like him. So there are many people in church today. Many pastors today. I tell you the truth. Who are doing it like business. It's just a business transaction. They're just here. There are sponsors somewhere. Who are sponsoring them. And at the end of the day, they collect the offering. They make, they, you, he must make, his turnover must increase. <laughs> Because if he doesn't, he's fired and somebody else is put there. The church is not a business. And that is why it is not for those who don't have anything to do. You stay, you are broke, you are, you are tired, they've sacked you, you don't have anything to do. Then you remember that you can preach and you go and start a church. No, the church is not a business, it's a calling. Jesus, everyone that Jesus called to break the foundations of the church were busy men. Very, very busy men. 
dead. All of them. In fact, when they waited and Jesus died, they waited first day, they didn't see him. Second day, they didn't see him. They said, let us go back to our business. Peter said, let's go back a fishing. What you were doing before. So they were busy. He caught them at different times. One was a tax collector. In other words, he was a finance guru. They were finance. They were noblemen, men who were born into nobility. All of them, great busy men who were doing something when God called them. Because that thing that, oh, I forgot. Even Paul himself was a tent maker. And when he came in Acts chapter 18, he came into Corinth. When he got there, while he was wilding time, see what was going on. He saw Aquila and Fusilia uh, who were tent makers. And he attached himself to him and started making tents and selling tents. So it means that to Paul, the resources he used to run his ministry didn't come from the church. It came from his tent making ability and his business. So business is different from church. The church is not a business. No. The only currency that we have in church are the lives and the souls of men. Are they won for the kingdom or are they lost for the, out of the kingdom? The currency, the thing that flows in and out of the church are the souls of men. Are these souls being won or are they being lost? So what a pastor to use to judge the growth of his ministry or the currency or the liquidity of his ministry are the amount of those who are won and those who are lost for the kingdom of God, not the bank account. Huh. Did you get that? And that's not for you anyway, that's for pastors like me. <laughs> so the church is not a business. And in fact, in the early church, we saw so many people who were doing it as business. In Titus 1, 10 to 11, Paul was speaking to Titus and said to Titus, For there are many unruly vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. That's for money. When you see filthy lucre, it's money. They are doing it for money, to sustain themselves, to pay their bills. No, the church is not that way. The church is the body of Christ. Let's move on. All right. Number number five, because of time. The church is not a religious or a social club. I know we say it's better you come to church than you go to the club, but excuse me, the church is not a club. I was asking a lady some days ago, she called me from the UK, and she said, ah, how she joins us online. I said, all oh, right, that's good. And I said, there's a particular church where I know that there are a lot of people in the church that complain about their pastor. And then I asked her, how are they even coping? And they are still there. She said, well, they've told themselves they cannot leave home. That they have been there for a long time. So it's just like a club for them. So they just go and they hang out and meet their friends, meet their people and just gist and have fun. But as per the word, they're not getting in there. So they have other people outside there they hear the word from. I'm one of them. Where they get, they just plug in to hear the word. To feed their souls, feed their spirit. So that church for them is just a club. It's just a hangout. A meeting point where friends meet friends. The church is not a club. It is a place where you hear what thus says the Lord. Where you are fed. Your spirit is fed. Your mind is fed. You're, you, are, you are built up. Where you also supply to the richness of that body. So the church is not a social club. It's good to have lights. It's good to dance. But it's not a discotheque. Don't get confused. Unfortunately, we go to the churches that have the brightest lights. <laughs> where they are dancing the most. Why that is okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't dance. I'm a dancer myself. I'm a singer myself. But that is not what we came here to do. Hello. 
We came here to hear the word of the Lord and let the word of God resurface us and lift our hearts out of pain, out of penury. Let the word of God move us from where we are to where God has designed for us to be. We came here so we can supply what we carry on the inside to the body so that the whole body will grow and be established upon the earth. We come here so we can contribute to the legislative function of God's agenda here on the earth. That's what we are here to do. That's what the church gathers on. The church gathers to hear God speak to them so they can go out to the world so that they can go on top uh, Panier or, or, or the cave of Pan and they can climb on top of that cave and say ye cave you are not going to prevail against our agenda and our mission. That is what the church is. Am I talking to somebody here? So the church is not a religious club. The church is not the pastor. Today when you say uh, what is the church doing about it? You know what they, when you say what is the church even doing about it? You know what they are referring to? What are the pastors? What are the geos doing about this? The church is not the geo. The church is not all the pastors together. The church is not PFN. The church is not the association of geos. No. The church is you and me. So anytime you say, what is the church doing about it? What you're saying is, what are you doing about it? You are that church. Me, all of us. What are we doing about the situation? The church is not the pastors. It's not the leaders. And lastly, the church is not a cell or a ministry or a house fellowship. This is because as we see later in the function of the church, the church has to have a minimum amount of ministry gifts in it for it to qualify as the church. Ministry gifts, Ephesians chapter 4, there has to be a minimum amount of them, five of them, for it to qualify as a church. Anything other than that is a ministry. And there's nothing wrong in having a ministry. And some pastors have ministries. They don't call it church on purpose because the ministry is meant to, 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 to be a vehicle for them to communicate that thing that God has given them as a gift. So it's not a church. The church is not a cell. That for, you see that today. Some people say, don't want to be part of the local church. We just want my family to pray in the morning. That is not a church. That is a cell. It's part of a church, but it's not a church. And we see that in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2. We see that they went from the temple where the church met and then they also came back to their little homes and they had house fellowship or cell meetings. Acts chapter 2 verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Oh, in the early days, they went to church every day. In the early days in Jerusalem, the church, the body of all, oh, this is another exciting one. No, no, no. The church, the body of Christians then, they always held meetings in the temple of the Jews. But they were the church, they were not the Jews. So they had their meetings in the temple. In somewhere in the temple. Because they were Jews. But they were the church. It was not the temple that made them the church. But when they all congregated, a thousand of them, or five hundred of them, they were the church meeting at the temple. Do you get that? Alright. So because there in Jerusalem, they met at the temple. Don't forget that the temple was where Jews came to pray. But because they were Jewish Christians and they were the church, they too had the right to come to the temple. So they gathered in the temple to have their own fellowship too. And the Bible says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat to their, with their meat and with singleness and gladness of heart, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church. So the church met in the temple and they also met in small groups in their homes, but the small groups were not the church. 
So the church, like I said, has to be an expression of the minimum amount of gifts for it to be called the church. So no such thing as, oh, we are just joining online. Some of us have saying today, a lady met me and said, Pastor, I don't want to come to church again. I just want to be part of the online church. I understand it's okay. Uh, as long as you identify as a local church and you come and you supply the things you ought to supply that you're being part of the church but no such thing as I don't even want to be part of the local church the local church is messed up all of this is I just want to be a Christian and pray in my home with my family no that is not the local church because the local church has other rules and responsibilities hello am I talking to somebody all right so I've given you seven things that the church of God is not the local church is not when we come next week I will now begin to tell you what exactly the church is but I want to end this way I said earlier that you can be part of the local church and you are not part of the universal church and you are of all men most miserable because here we are celebrating you but in heaven your name is not recorded as a part of the universal church this universal church is a church you are born into spiritually is a part that you have a, at a point you make a commitment to say you know what I want to be part of this church and then you are born of the word you are born of the spirit and that brings you into the universal church my desire for you as you bow your heads today I want to give this opportunity to at least people here who are saying pastor I'm here perhaps I'm part of this local church but I haven't made the commitment to be part of the universal church. Bow your heads. If you're here, just pop your hands. I want to end on that note today and just simply lead you and bring you back into the local church or part, part of the universal church this Sunday morning. Bow your heads, everybody. Bow your heads. And if you're part of this universal church already, begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And as you just pray in the Holy Ghost, that it be easy for men and women to make that commitment today. I don't know how you came here today, but you came here because God had a word for you and because God wanted to introduce you to the possibility and bring you to this opportunity where you have a relationship with Jesus and you are born into the universal church that all the benefits that accrues to the universal church will be your portion as well in the name of Jesus I want you to shoot your hands up I want to pray with you very briefly thank you my brother thank you my sister I can see two hands I see three hands there just shoot your hands don't be shy that at some point in life I made the, the, the decision and I am here today to say father thank you because you brought me into this church wave your hands up in the air don't be shy don't be shy everybody don't be shy don't be shy don't be shy don't be shy so I want to be part of this universal church today all right I want you to now to take this another step and help me and I want to pray with you I want to pray. pastors can you just can you just mark out the, the uh, eyes just wave your hands so they can see you I want to pray with you and I'll get a pastor to come see you and then the pastor is going to also pray with you so I see two hands don't be shy three hands I see three hands yes I see three hands all right so where you are pray this prayer with me say father Oh, pray. everybody pray with them. Pray with them. Say, Father. And if you're there, please pray this with me. Say, Father, I thank you for this great opportunity. I didn't come here by accident today. I came here because you wanted me to come. And you wanted me to hear your word. Thank you, Father. For I see there's a reason and a need for me to be part of your universal church. And so today, I bow my heart before you. I say, Father, receive me as your son today in Jesus mighty name with my heart I confess that Jesus is Lord I can't hear you all oh, the three of you are saying with my heart I confess that Jesus is Lord and with my mouth 
I confess that Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Father, for accepting me as your son. Thank you, Father, for giving me the opportunity to stand today amongst the great body of Christ that you are building on the earth. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. And everybody shout or believe it. Amen. Hallelujah. You've taken note of them. So after You've just time. listened to an amazing message by Pastor Chinedu Unwosu of the Bridge Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. at the Nafil Arcade and Water Park, Vusei Zone 7. And midweek services at the Chiratin Hotel, number 30 Sokode Crescent, Vusei Zone 5. God bless you.